0: Our Old Testament reading comes from Jeremiah. Um, if the last couple of weeks we have been, as um, we talked about, been in the the minors, well, this Labor Day weekend we were have been caught up to the majors. Um, so, uh, if you would, and so um, Jeremiah is a major prophet, and as we talked about before, minor versus major doesn't mean anything. One is no less important than the other. It simply means uh, the books are smaller in the minor prophets, and the major prophets are larger. Like Jeremiah has. 55 chapters, verse 8, Habakkuk has um, four chapters. Um, so we're um, reading in Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 11, and you may follow on your pew Bible on page 720 in the Old Testament section. And just to give you a little heads up of where we are in Jeremiah, where we pick up, uh, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah is written when um, there's... At that time, Israel was divided into two parts, the northern part and the southern part. The northern part had already collapsed, and the southern part was still in existence. Um, majority of Jeremiah is talked about, like, repent, turn around. If you don't turn around, if you don't change, you all, we all are going to collapse as well, too. Um, and then towards the end, they do collapse. But here in this part of Jeremiah, they have not collapsed yet. And they are warning them, turn, repent uh, to God. And so we pick up on Jeremiah 18, verses 1 through 11. I invite you now to listen to God's word. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his will. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. And then the word of the Lord came to him, "Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as the potter has done?" says the Lord. Uh, just like uh, the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment, I may declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy. But in that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment, I may declare concerning a nation of a kingdom that I will build and plant plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, now listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I have intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah, into the habits of inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord: Look, I am a potter, shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, for your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Ed McCormick was an. Advid learner and not only was he an avid learner he was a, a teacher and this is what i remember about the stories of ed a few months ago at his memorial service and one story in particular that stuck with me was told by his daughter lydia i had been given permission by the family to retell it here this morning she said that you know um, you knew ed was going to teach you something when ed would gently place his hand on your shoulder Without raising his voice, just kindly say, Can you come here? I would like to show you something. Often, and not always, often he recalls this was not good news if you were his child. The dishes that you were told to clean had dirty spots still on them. Or the the yard that you were told to mow was not edged properly. Or the paper that you said you had finished, well, the grammar was terrible and he could tell you hurriedly went through it. But instead of getting mad, or falling behind you to fix your work, Ed used this opportunity to teach how to clean, how to mow, how to write a paper, or whatever else was on his mind. I think this is what's going on in the 18th chapter of Jeremiah. God says to Jeremiah, come down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. In essence, God is placing God's hand on Jeremiah's shoulder and saying, can you come here? I need to show you something. And this thing that God shows Jeremiah is a potter making a clay jar. Often when we read this passage, we think individually. As if we're the clay, and the potter is reshaping us individually. And although this is a beautiful metaphor and holds some truth to this passage. Notice the language being used. God is speaking to Jeremiah not as an individual. Instead, God is speaking to the Israelites as a nation. God invites Jeremiah to see the potter as a metaphor for the way that God works with communities. How God works with nations, how God works with churches. And within this metaphor, in this community, in this metaphor, the community is a clay. Then God is the divine potter, carefully shaping the world into God's imagination. But also notice. Even with the shaping and destroying and the reshaping again, that God is not suggesting that the divine power throw away all the clay and start with brand new clay. God doesn't destroy the clay. God uses the exact same clay He began with. The same people, the same communities, into creating not what we desire, God has no problem destroying that But what God desires, what a potter imagines. I wonder if this is what God is doing to us each week. I wonder if God is inviting us to worship, to experience the potter's workshop, to see God's vision of how the world is to work. What if, what if we're being called here weekly to repent, to reflect, to turn around, if you would, from how we're living, from how the church is interacting with the world, from the ways of our nation? What if that invitation to come to worship is God putting God's hand on our shoulder and saying to you and to me, come here. I'd like to show you something. The church word liturgy is a word um, that we use to describe what goes on in a worship service. The prayers, the songs, the readings. The word liturgy comes from two Latin words. One meaning people and the other meaning work. Worship is the work of God's people. On this Labor Day weekend, we could say worship is a labor of God's people. On the majority of Sundays, our labor is pretty predictable. I'll admit that. We begin by welcoming each other. Then we call each other to worship. Which is followed by confessing all the ways we have not connected with what we say within these walls of the church to how we live outside of them. Then by confessing our sin at the very beginning of worship, what we're doing is we're also reminding ourselves of God's steadfast promise. That there is nothing that we can do Or leave undone that can offend or anger God to the point that God does not want to draw us into God's heart and reshape us. And after receiving that gift of forgiveness, we then are prepared to praise God in song, open our hearts and our minds to God's word, pray for those in need. And offer God a portion of our resources that we have labored for. True worship is not I like this, but that, not so much. True worship is for us to to gather as a community and being open to how God is shaping us. The question for the Christian in this age, David Lowe's has said, It's not finally about some form of self-actualization that our culture adores. Rather, it's discovering that we give ourselves away in relationship and service. That when we do that, we find a deeper sense of ourselves than we could have ever imagined possible. We are born for community. And we... After a week, God taps us on the shoulder and says to us all, "Come here. I like to show you my vision." Ironically, as much as we want, want this passage to be about the individual, it is here, within God's vision of community, God's imagination for the world, that we find a sense of self and meaning and purpose as we trust God's promises. And give ourselves away in love. A couple years ago, the dean of Duke's Chapel recalls receiving a call from a concerned parent. Uh, Hello, he said, this is Jennifer's dad. Oh, hello, how are you doing today? Uh, Not well, not well at all. We have a problem with Jennifer, and I hold you personally responsible. I'm not sure if I understand. Uh, Jennifer seems to be doing pretty well. Well, Jennifer had a plan. She had a plan, um, the man went on, and her plan was to, to get into Duke, and she did. Her plan was to, to do well at Duke, and she has. Her plan was to attend graduate school, and she has been accepted. Her plan was working. Now she tells me she's not going. Um, not going. Everything she's worked for, everything that her mother and I have worked for, is being thrown away. She is not going to graduate school. She tells me instead of going to graduate school, she is going to Haiti. She wants to do mission work in Haiti. She wants to work with the Presbyterian church in Haiti. Her plan was working out. It was working out really well until she met you. After meeting you, she has thrown it all away to dig ditches. She has a degree from Duke University. And she's going to dig ditches. And I hold you responsible. And what are you going to do to fix it? why me, the dean said, without missing a beat? Why do you hold me responsible? You, you, sir, the man said, you, sir, you're the one who cozied yourself up to her and filled her mind with all this religious stuff. But, 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 sir, hold on now. Didn't you and your wife get Jennifer baptized as an infant? Sure we did. Sure we did. Well, didn't you and your wife take her to Sunday school week after week the child? Yes, sure we did. And didn't you? Didn't you let your child go to Colorado with that youth group when she was in high school? Yes, we did. Was have to do with anything. It has everything to do with it. It has everything to do with everything. You're the one who introduced her to Jesus, not me. But all he wanted was her to be a good Presbyterian. I'm sorry, sir. Instead, you got a disciple. Maybe this is what Desmond Tutu was thinking that one night being interviewed about his life. Tutu was asked, What one message did you receive as a young person that you now try to convey to others as you meet them? Without hesitation, he responded, live a God-sized life. As a young man, that's um, what the minister of the parish of South Africa told us. He said, God has called you. God has claimed you as God's own. And everything that you do, live that truth. Live a God-sized life. Come here. God says. Let me show you something. And God takes Jeremiah into the potter's house, reminding us that it's God that is shaping our world. And God is inviting us to participate in God's creation. Like a parent, taking us to see the dirt on the dishes, or the unedged lawn, or the poor grammar on the paper. And giving us an opportunity to change it. I think that. I think that's what God is up to. I think God is inviting us here every single week to be changed. Which begs to ask the question. Why do we come to church? Why did you come to church? on this holiday weekend. Were you ex- expecting to see the kingdom of God? No. Were you did you come expecting to see God's vision? Were you coming willing to be changed? Michael Ventura. in his book, Teacher as a Healer, says the artist, the education educator, and the therapist Walk different paths into different ways, but those paths meet at an intercession where the street sign says, you must change your life. We do not go to the artist, the educator, or the therapist to remain the same. We go to them to be given the vision and the tools to go on. And to go on is always the change. One commentator has observed this could be applied to the church and faith as well, but maybe sometimes we forget that. Oh, we don't go to the artist, educator, therapist, or faith to remain the same. We go to church because we want to be changed. Perhaps some, some go to church precisely to remain the same, to, to have these preconceived and their prejudice affirmed. To be told that their black and white judgments line up so nicely with God's. But for those willing to give their life and follow Christ. For those willing to give themselves a life of faith. We know that while life is beautiful, we also know it is incomplete. Incomplete now while we are capable of many things saving ourselves is not one of them and so while many motivations may lead us to the door of the church on any given sunday deep down we come here hoping to hear or experience something that not will just inform us or even inspire us we call, hoping to hear something that will change us, giving us, as Ventura says, the vision and the tools to go on. What if, what if this is God's intention and calling us here, to teach us how to change, Not just for the sake of changing, but what if God is teaching us how to change so that we can live into God's vision? Even when the world seems as if it is full of chaos and disorder. The promise of God? The promise that God makes us through Jesus Christ is that God the potter is reshaping the world not with disaster. But with the resurrection. Resurrection. In the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus said, repent. The kingdom of God is near. Repent means simply to turn around. So God places his hands on me and on you. And as we turn around and look to God, God says, come here. Can I show you something? This is the season for Sunday school kickoffs. We'll have our Sunday school kickoff next week It's an opportunity for us to to gather in the Fellowship Hall and study God's Word together and invite each other to read Scripture together not only on Sunday mornings, but we'll also introduce what we're doing with various Bible um, studies, come to the tables that we call them, opportunities that we have for this fall. Um, A few years ago, Heidi Husted, a pastor, launched a a new class in her church on, a, on the Sunday school kickoff Sunday. This class was called Faith Formation. The class seemed to be going smoothly. Um, it was fairly well attended. Great discussion was going on. But then on one Sunday, a woman approached the teacher and nervously asked, Would it be okay for me to start coming to that class Sunday too? Of course, Heidi said. Why on earth would that be a problem? Well, you know, when I look into the class, I see a lot of young people. And I notice that the class is called Faith Formation. I'm 94. I just wondered if it was maybe too late for me. Regardless of where you find yourself this morning, no matter your age, your sexuality, your social class, and no matter the number of mishaps within your life, no matter how spoiled you may feel, God is not through with you yet. God is not through with the church yet. God is not through with the world yet. Come here. Let me show you something. With God's hands, God is reworking and molding you and molding me, and molding the church. And then, as a church, we follow Jesus in reshaping the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.